it was real exciting to see your response to last Sunday so that you know there was close to $2,800 that was raised for the H2O project for Nicaragua. Uh, we're probably going to have to find a different way to collect the finances, though, because I don't know how long it took them to pull the money out of that big bottle with that little tube. And so, uh, I know. Uh, so, but anyway, listen, take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter where we have been. We've been talking about Jesus and we've been talking about some of the characteristics of Jesus. And as we've been walking through, I, I think for us, the main objective has been how can we get to know Jesus better? That he's not just the God of the Bible, but he is the God of our hearts. And so what we've been asking is, Lord, as we, as we take this journey through this time, would you come walk in and among us as, as, we, as we read and as we listen for your voice. Um, and I don't know about you, but, but it's, been, it's been really good for me to be reminded about some of the things that we've talked about. Because so many times we see Jesus as far, far away, but we've wanted to bring him as up close and personal as, as possible. And today we're going to continue that journey. Um, and we're going to focus on another characteristic that I think is really important in reference to Jesus. But before we do that, I want to read to you the passage of Scripture that's been our theme passage over this, this series. But what I want to do is I want to read it to you this morning from the message. And so if you have your Bibles, which I hope that you do today, um, I want you to read along with me, but I want to read to you the translation of the message and, and show you what it, what it has to say. This is what it says in reference to Paul's words. You'll remember, friends, that when I first came to you to let you in on God's master stroke, I didn't try to impress you with polished speeches and the latest philosophies, but I deliberately kept it plain and simple. First, Jesus and who he is, and then Jesus and what he did. Jesus crucified. Jesus crucified. I don't know about you, but when somebody's willing to die for you, it should cause us to think at least for a moment. I mean, here's Jesus dying for us, and you would think that it would be enough to get us to the place to ask the question, why? in the world would somebody do that i mean mike who would you be willing to give your life for and troy who would you really be willing to give your life for and larry and byron who would you be willing to give your life for but we find in the scriptures that jesus loved us enough that he was crucified for our sins we talked about that when we talked about jesus the lamb of god but today we're going to look at a different characteristic as jesus as teacher um and we find in the scriptures there are many mentions, many mentions of Jesus being teacher, probably 50 or more times. And Jesus wasn't the type of teacher that stood before you on a Sunday morning and, and that every time, you know, another tick of the clock went, you were looking at your watch waiting to get out. But Jesus was the type of teacher that as he spoke, the multitudes would gather ready 
desiring to listen to what he would teach and to what he would say. And we want to focus on that today. But before we focus on Jesus, our teacher, let me ask you a question just for a second. Think back, and who was your favorite teacher? And then I want to know why. Who was your favorite teacher growing up and why? On everybody at once, just raise your hand. Dave? Mr. Arnold? Arnold? Mm -hmm. He's a pretty famous guy at Leesburg. Okay. Why was he your, one of your favorite teachers? So it wasn't just about the material he was teaching, the fact that he was teaching from a different perspective. He helped you understand what he was trying to teach you, okay? Somebody else, your favorite teacher and why? Yes, Diane. I Debbie? <laughs> I had a teacher in junior high school, first grade, that was my favorite teacher. I can't even think what he was. Mr. So here's another teacher, an example that you cared, somebody that you said was a great teacher. You didn't like history, but you learned because it wasn't about the information that he shared. It was the fact that he cared. Somebody else. Yes. Dave, I wish I could say that about the teachers that I had. I was sent to the principal's office many times. You know, it's funny because the greatest of teachers may not necessarily be so much about math and English and history but the greatest of teachers are those that care for those that they're teaching and i have to believe that jesus not only taught from a from a perspective of knowledge and understanding but he also cared for the ones that he was teaching too it's what made him special i want you to go to, this morning to a passage of scripture in john chapter 13 unless it's in the new testament matthew mark luke and john the fourth of the Gospels that we see. And I want to read to you there um, what Jesus had said in reference to a conversation that he was having with the disciples. Because Jesus just wasn't a great teacher. He was an unbelievable example for us. And these are the words that we find written in the Gospel today of John, verse 15, chapter 13 there. He said, I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. In other words, watch me. How many of us are bold enough to tell people around me, don't listen to what I say, just watch me? It's pretty intense, isn't it, Sean? Don't listen to the words that I speak that I tell you, but listen, just watch me with the life that I live. And here's Jesus saying, I've given you an example to follow. Jesus was facing the cross. It was at a very difficult time prior to everything. And here, and here he is demonstrating exactly what humility 
would look like. Jesus would be a real-life example, upfront and personal. See, because here's the one who created the heavens and the earth. Here's the one that put the stars in the sky, that created the mountains and everything else that was in it. And here he was at a time and a place where the creator of all things would humble himself and he would practice humility by the washing of people's feet, those that were closest to him. And instead of saying, listen, go be a servant, what Jesus did is he taught about servanthood. What he did is he taught about humility. He demonstrated it. He even washed the feet of those knowing that they would be some that would deny him. Wow. as well as betraying. But here's the question. How do we respond when we don't have an example? The disciples had an example to follow, but how might we respond if we don't have an example? Because in life, there are lots of choices. In life, there are lots of decisions that we have to make, Dean. We come to the crossroads every day of having to make crucial decisions in life. And so what might we do in a time and place when we don't have an example? Here's a couple of things that I just thought up off the top of my head. Number one, we might try to fix it ourselves. How many of us make decisions based off of feelings or emotions? I feel this way, so I'm going to fix it. I'm going to make the decision. I'm the one that's going to come to the conclusion, and I'm going to make a decision, and I'm going to make a choice based on what I feel. I'm going to fix it myself. Or maybe in the absence of an example, we might try to, to find an alternative to fill in. From time to time, I'll get invited to go up to the, to the prison and, and have a chance to speak. And there's a collective audience right there. And many times, it's, it's surprising how attentive those guys are or those ladies are when I have an opportunity to go in and speak but if you go back and you look at the statistics how many of those that are there in prison are there because they lack an example they didn't have a father there wasn't a home life and if you'll read if you'll go back and look at the statistics many are there because they lacked an example so in in not having an example what they do is they find somebody to fill into that position Maybe it's a sports figure, maybe it's a, a, a movie personality, maybe it's a coach. If you want to talk about influential people, if you're a coach here today, you're probably one of the most powerful people or teachers in the lives of a child. But men, in the lack of an example, what we'll do is not only fill in, but find an alternative, somebody else that we can put in that place, or sometimes we just get to the place that maybe we just, uh, maybe just give up. And when I say give up, maybe, maybe it's in a relationship, you don't have an example, so you just want to give up, you want to move away, you, want to, you don't have anybody that you can trust, and maybe it, it might be in a relationship or job, but how many times have I met people that lacked an example, and their response wasn't just about giving up in a specific area, but sometimes it's in life in general. They just want to quit. But what do you do when you feel like throwing in the towel? What do you do when you lack an example to follow? What do you do when you're confused about what to do next? How many of us turn to Jesus and to follow his counsel? How many of us do that? What would happen in our lives is the first place we turned when we had to make a decision was to Jesus. 
and not all that other stuff. What would take place? Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1, this is what Paul said as he wrote to the church there. He said, watch what God does and then you do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents, and I'm reading from the message, mostly what God does is love us. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. We go to school to learn. We go to school to learn. We learn from examples. And Paul said, listen, he said, Jesus teaches us how to live, not by just what he says, but by how he chose to live his life. One translation of that passage says, be an imitator of Christ. You know, when we send you out as Christ ambassadors, we send you out to be an imitator of Christ, to be his ambassadors. But when you're at that place and you're looking for direction, you're trying to decide which way to turn as you walk through life, I want to give you a couple things in reference to Jesus as teacher that I think that we can learn from his example today. And I want you to write these down. I'm going to give you three or four, depending on time this morning. The first thing I want you to write down, and Jesus teaches us how to overcome temptation in reference to telling us that there is power in the Word of God. How many of you ever pick up God's Word and you spend time in God's Word on a daily basis because you're looking and you're seeking and you're desiring? See, that's what God's Word does. It teaches us, Jesus teaches us through His Word how to overcome temptation. And I don't know what temptation that you may be facing, but see, the answer to it is in God's Word. Somebody asked me one time, why do you have these verses pasted in your car from time to time? And I said, because they're verses that are very important to me and verses that I need to not only memorize, but I need to be reminded to live out because they're important. But here's Jesus that we find in Matthew chapter 4. He's in the wilderness, and the Bible says that he was there in the wilderness to be tempted. And it was at that place of vulnerability, it was at that place of being hungry, it was at that place of exhaustion that he was met there by the enemy. Now let me say this about the enemy. He doesn't, he doesn't just come at appropriate times, but he comes at times that he knows that you're weak. He comes at times that he knows that you're vulnerable. He comes at times when he knows that you're hungry and you're searching for an answer. And you might be willing to choose an alternative instead of Jesus. And here it is. Satan himself comes to Jesus. And he loves to attack when the weak and vulnerable. And in Matthew chapter 4, we see a place in time where Jesus is hungry. And in response to uh, Jesus, you know, what Satan says is, Listen, I know that you're hungry, so why don't you turn these, these rocks into bread? And Jesus says to him in Matthew chapter in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. But Satan just didn't stop there, did he? No, he didn't stop there because if you go on to read the story, he takes him up to the highest place of the temple and there in Jerusalem and says, if you're the son of God, then jump. And if you are who you say you are, then God will save you. And Jesus said, no, you must not tempt the Lord your God. But he continues on, he He's relentless. If you bow down and worship me, then I will give you everything. And Jesus' response was, you need to get out of here, for we must worship only the Lord our God. See, overcoming temptation, Jesus tells us to go to the Word, because that's what Jesus spoke to Satan himself was the Word of God. But let me remind you of this. Satan also knows the Word of God. And he is sneaky, and he is sly, 
and he wants to destroy you. The Bible says that he's like a lion seeking whom he may devour. And I don't know when the last time you watched a lion was. I saw something on TV the other day. There was a lion. He doesn't just say, go, hey, I'm over here. I'm going to get you. No, what he does, he goes and finds a place that he can hide out where you don't see him. And he catches you at that moment when you're most unprotected. He catches you at that time and place in your life when you are most vulnerable. And that's when he attacks. Not when you're at the strongest, but at the moment in time when you're the weakest. And Jesus would teach us to overcome temptation by saying, go to the Word. Go to the Word. Go to the Word and meditate on it because it's, it's, the, it's, the, light, it's the light that leads us along the path. It helps us in our decision making. It helps us deal with the issues of life. It tells us what's right, what's not right, how to get right, and how to stay right. And all of us need to hear that. That's what the scripture has to say. That was the example that Jesus set for us. The second thing is, I want you to write down this. Jesus also taught us by example how to deal with impossible situations. You remember the story of Jesus and, and Lazarus? You remember that? If you've grown up in church, you've heard the story before. Word had gotten to Jesus that Lazarus is sick. Jesus stayed where he was. Lazarus died. They put him in a grave. Jesus decided, well, now it's time to show up. So he shows up. Mary and Martha meet him on the edge of town and said, what in the world are you doing? See, Lazarus died because of you. Because of me? Because of you. The Bible would tell us that Jesus would weep. And I wonder if Jesus wept because of Lazarus' death or if it was because of their unbelief. Because Lazarus was dead, there wasn't anything that they could do to fix it. But Jesus knew. See, because he's the miracle worker. And see, all things are possible through him. See, the solution to the impossible is faith, forsaking all I trust him. For those of us that may be on the edge and you're going, there's just no way. There is a way. But see, whether or not it's your way or not doesn't mean that there is a God or lack of a God based on what takes place. But I will promise you this, according to the scriptures, there is a way. And I have stories in this room that I will tell you that there is a way, even when it seems impossible. Hebrews eleven six: without faith it is impossible to please God. I will trust and I will have confidence no matter what. Forsaking all, I will trust him. So here's Lazarus in the grave. And Jesus said, didn't I tell you that you would see the glory of God? <laughs> Lazarus, come out. And he did. See, because Jesus knew that there would be times when our faith would be challenged. When the things that we say that we believe would be put on judgment and we would have to make a choice of what would we do would our faith remain strong or would we give in when we were challenged would we would would we, would we fail to be faithful would we be able to look past what we thought was impossible how would we respond but jesus would say the impossible is possible here's how you face it the third thing that I'd like to say to you today is Jesus would teach us that surrender is a prerequisite to a miracle. We talked about miracles last week and about how to experience a miracle. 
But it's so difficult, isn't it? Aren't miracles extremely difficult? And you know why? Because we spend an awful lot of time living in the flesh. I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 2 for a second. I'm going to bypass some of my notes. Galatians chapter 2. Excuse me, Galatians chapter 5. Because this is what I know. Surrender is extremely difficult when we are living in the flesh. As a matter of fact, it's impossible. See, you can say that you're surrendered to God, but we have a test here that tells us whether or not we're surrendered to God or not. I was in some conversations with some family this past yesterday with some family for my dad's 75th birthday and thank you for all of the things that you have the cards that you have sent the words the phone calls uh i am 50 i'm not dead yet (laughs) but um just in in talking with my family um I was just having some private conversation. They were talking about the state of our country and where we were. And then it got into a conversation about Democrats and Republicans. And then it got into all these different conversations. And my, my comment was basically, you know, life would be different if those of us that called ourselves believers truly lived out the life that God called us to live. See, if you ever really want to know where you are, we have a, we have a, a little test here that we can take. I don't want to read this to you in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19. Because I want you to know this. The acts of the sinful nature or the flesh are very obvious. They are. You may not think they are, but the acts of the sinful nature are very obvious. And this is what the Scripture has to say. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred. See, we always want to get hung up on the top end. And then we forget about the hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition. We really don't like that one. That's really hard to, 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 uh, under, to cover up, isn't it? Selfish ambition. You know what I'm saying? Selfish ambition, um, dissension, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. You can ask yourself the question, am I in the flesh? I mean, it's easy for us to see somebody else living in the flesh. It's easy for us to be able to call somebody else out. But me, living in the flesh? No, I don't think so. But here's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Let us not become conceited, provoking envy in each other. You know, if you're struggling with an issue, you can ask yourself, Lord, am I in the flesh or am I in the Spirit? Jesus taught us to surrender, that surrender was obedience. See, the opposite of living in the flesh is living in the Spirit. And Jesus taught us that surrender was a prerequisite to experiencing miracles. Surrender, though, can be really tough, especially when it doesn't make sense. Mary and Martha, (laughs) didn't make sense. Jesus, if you would have been here, 
Do you trust me? Surrender. Which one of those lifestyles, characteristics, does your life most follow? I mean, which one of those lifestyles in the flesh or in the spirit does your life most exemplify? What if God were to ask you today to do something that didn't make sense? What if he were to call you out of your comfort zone? What if he were to call you today to stop and drop what you were doing and to follow him? How would you respond? What would you, well, God, listen, I've got to, well, listen, if you're just told, well, God, if you'll let me, I mean, what would your response be? Would you respond out of a sense of surrender or would, and obedience? Or would you say, just hold on, God, let me make sure that I've got things in Line. One of the things that we learned in our missional communities this past week was we talked about the incarnal, our incarnational life in the flesh, that in the flesh that we are Christ's representatives here on this earth. And in the flesh, God sends us as his representative to be an ambassador for Christ. And so the life we live shouldn't be one that we're holding on to in the flesh, but it should be a life of the Spirit. 1 Peter chapter 2 says, For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. Here is your example, and you must follow in his steps. I had somebody call me yesterday and said, Listen, can you, can you be part? They were coming from out of town. They were, they were flying in and said, I, I've, I've got a disagreement with somebody. I need to sit down and talk with you. Would you mediate? I said, Man, I'm out of town. I'd love to be a part of that. And I said, Why do you need me? He said, I don't really need you. I already know what the scripture tells me that I must do to have an impact in my brother's life for Christ. He said, I just need some affirmation because the situation that I'm dealing with is not as important as my brother who is not saved. He said, and I know that my actions will affect his life. So that is much more important than the situation that I'm trying to deal with. I just need you to pray with me. See, it wasn't about who was right. It was about whose he was. And he knew it. And as a result of that, he said, I choose to live a life in the Spirit, not in the flesh. Even though I have logistically the right to be angry, even though I have the right to be bitter, even though the, I have the right, I am going to choose to live this way because that is how I should live as a surrendered believer. And I don't know what you may be facing at this moment. I don't know what you might be struggling with. But Jesus taught us a life of surrender. So we've, he's taught us how to overcome temptation with the word. Because we're going to face temptation daily. He's gonna, he taught us how to face the impossible. Because, because it's, it's very important that we trust him. Because there are going to be those times that the impossible seems to happen right in front of us. Jesus also taught us the importance of surrender. But Jesus also wanted us to know and experience what unconditional love was. Unconditional love. How do you explain that? I mean, can you wrap your arms around unconditional love? See, most of us, we, we struggle with that. I mean, we can wrap our rounds, arms around conditional as long as you, then I will. Isn't that right, Susan? I mean, I'll love you. I'll love you, Michael, as long as you love me. I'll love you. Um, as, as, long as, you as long as you do what, what I want you to do, then we're buddies. 
But all of a sudden, the time and the moment and place when you do something that I don't want you to do, you're out of here. Forgiveness. How do you define forgiveness? Amy, you're a school teacher. How do you define forgiveness? What is it? I would love for you to. Forgiveness. And fifth, and sixth, and seventh, and eighth. That's hard. Somebody else, forgiveness. Define it for me. How do you define forgiveness? Pardon? I'm not talking about pardon me, excuse me. Not holding it against somebody? Letting go? How good are you at forgiving? You probably struggle with it. And you maybe struggle with it because you really don't understand it. See, forgiveness is a choice. And how many times do we struggle with forgiveness because we think that forgiveness is about approving, approving what the person did? But when we trust Christ, we can only receive forgiveness. We can not only receive forgiveness, but we can also learn how to forgive others who've wronged us. See, if you go back to the woman at the well when they brought her to Jesus, see, they were expecting Jesus to stone her. They were expecting Jesus to condemn her. They were expecting Jesus. Jesus doesn't always respond the way that we think he should respond, does he? But he looked at her and he said, go and sin no more. But see, that story continues on that many of us don't know because what happens is Jesus is sitting at a meal and this woman happens to walk in. The one who Jesus had forgiven and forgave, she walks in and she takes an expensive bottle of perfume and she scatters it all over Jesus' feet. An expensive bottle of perfume that probably would cost a year's wages. And she would take her hair and she would begin to wipe Jesus' feet as tears flowed down her face. And in Luke chapter 7, verse 47, Jesus clears up and helps us better understand this forgiveness thing when he says, I tell you, her sins, and they are many, there are a lot of rap sheets in this room. There are a tremendous amount of rap sheets and things that we've done wrong, things that people know of as well as things that people don't, do not know. There are things that have been done public as well as things that have been done in private. There are things of stories of people that all of us in here know, but then there are stories in here that people don't know. Jesus didn't know exactly. He just didn't know what she had done. He knew also those things behind the scenes. And he also knew the lives of those who had brought her to him. See, I happen to think that what Jesus wrote that day in the sand as he confronted the Pharisees, I happen to believe that that day he began to write in the sand sins in their own life that had yet to be exposed. That's why they left. 
And he said, even though I tell you her sins, they are many. And he says, have been forgiven, so she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only a little love. See, this is what Jesus was saying about, his, about her tears. Her attitude and posture was a, her love was a natural response to the forgiveness that she had experienced. She knew where she had been. She knew what she had done. She didn't know, need anybody else to recount her stories. She knew exactly. And she was overwhelmed at the fact that Jesus would embrace her. Not embrace her sin, but he would embrace her. When we accept forgiveness, what it does is it expands our ability to be able to experience love, but it also affects our hearts. See, the person that's been forgiven and he knows what Jesus has done for him, it's a whole lot easier to him to go to somebody else and say, go and sin no more. For the person that's never received forgiveness, you know what we want to do? We want to throw stones. We want to cast another stone. But for those of us that have experienced God's forgiveness, go and sin no more. And her tears demonstrated she knew exactly what, unfor what unconditional love was. See, how many of us deal with unforgiveness? We struggle. Somebody messed with me and got all up in my business. They wronged me. They said something about me. They messed with my family. They took my job. They caused me to suffer. They caused me to hurt. And it may seem fair and it may seem right, but holding a grudge only hurts you. It doesn't hurt anybody else. As much as you would like to. And so instead of offering forgiveness, what you end up doing is you hold on. And you hold on. And every day that you hold on is another day that you choose to be held in bondage. You ever met somebody that was bitter? You ever met somebody that, you ever met an older person that was just nasty? We don't have any people like that here. I'm telling you the truth. Have you ever met somebody that was nasty and you look at them and you go, you've got to be kidding me. Why are they so angry? It's funny because the people that I've talked to over the years that have been like that, there's been something in their life that's happened and they have refused to let go. And they're against the world. I was with one yesterday. Steve knows him. Bitter. Angry. This is the story, and I'll tell it to you. He got married early on in life. He was living with his mama. It's not a good, not a good thing to live with your mama when you get married, okay? <laughs> his wife looked at him the day after they said, I do. And he said, she said, it's either your mama or me. And he said, mama's been here a whole lot longer than you. You need to go. He's been single, and he's 79 years old, and he's bitter and angry. He's been holding on for all those years. And as I spoke to him, and Steve spoke to him, it's like every time we talked to him, he would cry and begin to weep. 
And the only thing I could think about is only Jesus. Only Jesus. And see, if you've got that bitterness, Jesus didn't teach you to hold on to it. What he did is he taught you to let it go, to love unconditionally. But that's hard. Because if I do that, what might somebody think that knows the situation that's going on? They may think I'm weak, so what? Is it really about you? No. Life in the flesh, life in the spirit, a surrendered life. So if Jesus taught us to forgive, and I'm holding on to this forgiveness, tell me some ways that I can deal with unforgiveness. Say, I've got this stuff going on in my life, and I'm going to give them to you really quickly. I've told you this before, but I'm going to tell it to you again. Number one, first of all, you've got to acknowledge the fact that it's there. That's huge because so many times they go, oh, I'm, I'm just fine. Everybody's fine. I'm good. You're not good. You're lying. Matter of fact, every time you see that person, man, your heart just, your blood begins to boil. You got to first to go, man, I got a problem. I'm suffering. I'm struggling. You got to acknowledge that. Be truthful. What does the scripture say? The heart is deceitful of all things. No, I'm good. No, I'm not. You can convince yourself of all kinds of things. You got to come to the place to say, I am struggling. I'm struggling. I'm holding on. And first of all, the first step in moving ahead is acknowledging the fact that you're struggling. The second thing is you got to begin to pray for that person. Pray for them. I want to kill them. you got to pray for them. This is what it says. I mean, the Scripture says this in Matthew chapter 5. He says, pray for those who persecute you. Wow. If you're aware, if you've acknowledged it, Go and, you know, you might even need to go and ask for forgiveness. Sometimes the other person don't even know that you're struggling. But you know what? It's amazing how much of our heart can turn towards the other person when you begin to pray for them honestly. I'm not praying something bad happens to them. It's not what I'm saying. But you begin to pray for them. So acknowledge it. And then you begin to pray for them. And here's the third thing. Bless them. Bless them. Man, if Linda has wronged you, go acknowledge it. Pray for her. And then bring her a gift card to Chick-fil-A or something, right? The devil doesn't like that because you're on the offensive instead of the defensive. Acknowledge it. Pray. Bless. And step four. Stay on guard because you wrestle not with flesh and blood, but powers and principalities and rulers of this dark world. He wants to destroy you and he will attack you when you're at your your weakest points. Do not let him in. Stay on guard. Now, how do you know? How do you know when you're beginning to make some progress in this forgiveness deal? How do you know when you're starting to, to move ahead and the roots of unforgiveness are beginning to let go? Because the roots of unforgiveness can run extremely deep. How can you know when you're beginning to, to maybe act? And live as Jesus taught us to, when your actions, when your feelings towards that other person, um, when all of a sudden you see them and, and you're not as resentful, you know, you can see them and you can see them at a distance and you don't have that sort of pinging in your heart, but there's a hurting in your heart. See, when you go from from genuine forgiveness, what it does is it opens you up to begin to pray for them that the best things would happen instead of wishing for the worst. That's how you know. Because forgiveness is a choice. 
It's a God thing. You always hear these things. It's a God. Forgiveness is a God thing. It's not a self thing because self is not capable of providing that type of unconditional environment or attitude. It's impossible. That's what the flesh does. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you, and I'm going to hang on. Jesus, forgiveness, only Jesus. Only Jesus. And it's a choice. And it's a choice that we all must make. Paul said this in Romans, those who live according to the sinful nature have their mind set on what their nature desires, but those who live according with what the Spirit have their minds... um, those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. See, if you want to please the flesh, you're going to live that out. If you want to please the Spirit, you're going to live that out. Because Jesus didn't come to earth just to die, but because He came to teach us how to live, because He was our example. Our example. you got to get Him out of the book and into your real life, guys you got to get him out of the book and see him walking amongst us and see him dealing with all the things that we dealt with as a teacher, not just teaching us about the information for information's sake, but teaching us about the relevance of living a Christ-like lifestyle. Makes a difference. Makes a difference. So a question is, who are you following today? Are you following Jesus or somebody else? Because it wouldn't surprise me today if there are some of us here in this room that are, that are dealing with some people that have let you down. It wouldn't surprise me if there are some in here that, have been, that feel betrayed, that feel that promises have been broken, you feel, inten- you feel intentionally attacked, and maybe you're dealing with unforgiveness. What would Jesus say to do? When Jesus humbled himself and washed the disciples' feet, I want to remind you that Judas was one of those feet that Jesus washed. That Peter was one of the feet that Jesus washed. I don't know who's wronged you or if you even are dealing with that. But if you are, Jesus would say, what? Forgive, just as I have forgiven you. Would you bow your heads with me today? It's hard to forgive, Father, unless we've first been forgiven. It's hard to understand how we can go to the depths of surrender unless we first met you face to face. There may be people in this room that are dealing with unforgiveness. I've given them a few steps that they can take. But the first of those steps is acknowledgement. For those that are dealing with that right now, Father, would they be faithful? Would you give them strength to, first of all, be able to acknowledge and then follow through of beginning to pray, beginning to bless, and to set their self on guard, watching and waiting for the attacks of Satan? Not let that bitterness grow deep. There may even be some people in this room that need to go other people and to apologize. There might be some people in this room that have, that, that have, that have feel wronged or dealing with unforgiveness on somebody out, outside. Maybe, maybe it's somebody that knows, and maybe they need to go to them. It's all about Jesus. It's not about me. It's not about being right. 
It's about being God's. Teach us how to be your ambassador. It's really simple. Submit, humble, and he will lift us up. But there may be some here that struggle with forgiving others because they've never experienced the greatest forgiveness of all, and that is the forgiveness of our sins. If there are those here today that are, that are not believers or followers of Christ, what I would pray is that they would hear the words of 1 John, that if we would confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins and unrighteousness. Because we really can't forgive until we first have been forgiven. For the person that doesn't know Jesus, I wish it was as simple as praying a prayer. But it's an acknowledgement of the fact that you're a sinner. It's an acknowledgement of the fact that Jesus was the Lamb of God who died on the cross for our sins so that we could be pardoned and we could be forgiven. And so that we could have a right relationship with God. It's about living for you. It's about surrendering of self and putting somebody else in the driver's seat. And so if there are those here in this room today that are at that place, what I'm praying is, God, that even right after this service, there would be somebody that's in this room that would come to me and say, that's me. I don't know Jesus, and I've been hanging on. I just don't want to know how to forgive. I want to know the one who does forgive. Would you pray with me? For those of us that are believers that are in this room, though, that are dealing with forgiveness, Father, would you even speak to our hearts that we would walk through those processes that we've talked about? Jesus, you are our example. You are our teacher. Help us, Father, as we desire to live out and to be your incarnational flesh on this earth, that we would be your ambassadors, that we would be a sweet aroma to those around us, that others would see Jesus not only in the words that we speak, but in the way that we chose to live. For those today, Father, give them strength to do what they need to do. Courage to do what is right. To be able to say no to the sinful nature and yes to the life of the Spirit. Help us, Father, now as we leave this place. Praying again for Brian in his trip that things would go well. Father, would you use him in a mighty way? You've gifted him in so many different ways. We pray, do pray for protection over Brooke and the family. And, and Lord, we just are excited to hear the stories as he comes back. And even in the preparation for our two teams that are getting ready to leave for Nicaragua in just a couple of weeks. Thank you, Father, for the provision. Thank you for the provision. Hear us today, Father, because we so desire for you to be our example, and nobody else. In Jesus' name.